Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my my new bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U. T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. What's going on, U-Turn friends? It's Ash here, and I am covering a topic today that you've asked me to cover, I haven't covered, and it's time. And we're going to talk about how to start a side hustle, not just in anything, but in e-commerce. I always talk about service-based businesses, and I feel like there's something very approachable in the online world about e-commerce that we are all not getting. And so I wanted to bring Jordan Carter onto the show. He is an entrepreneur. He has He's the founder of Grounds and Hounds Coffee Company. It's a premium coffee company with a mission to eradicate unnecessary killing of sheltered dogs. Um, so he's an awesome example of someone who has created a you know very successful company um, with quality products in the coffee space and e-commerce also with a cause, with helping dogs and um, having a really big heart. So I'm excited to talk to him. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Okay. So obviously you have to take me into the beginning days of you and your rescue dog and you thinking about a coffee brand. I feel like that, I don't know, it's like that quote that it takes a rocket, like half of its fuel to lift off. I feel like that moment where it's like the idea comes in. I feel like people are having those moments all the time, but how do you move it into reality? What are some of the things you did? So yeah, get me into it. Yeah. So I think it's a great point. Um, my story with rounds and hounds, I actually started in 2010, uh, before my, my rescue dog, before I started the company about three years before four years. Um, it's a note in my iPhone's notes section. Um, I remember I was just, I had all these ideas and I was 20, I think I was 22 and you have great ideas when you're 22, you you know, no restrictions. You're just like, this is smart. Um, and you have all the confidence in the world. And so I was just jotting notes down and I put one in there and it was grounds and hounds. And the idea was very vague at the point. I was just like, oh, it'd be great to have a super dog friendly cafe. 
Um, didn't know what to do with it. It was in there. And then I kind of forgot about it. And, and what I find with most good ideas is it takes time for them to marinate and really to evolve. But over the course of a couple of years, it just kept popping up. And, you know, I, I didn't know where it was going yet. But when I was 24, I was on my way to breakfast and um, I saw a Dalmatian adoption event just on the side of Montana Avenue in Santa Monica. And there was a little brown and white Dalmatian who kind of like stole my heart by climbing in my lap. And, you know, next thing I knew I had a rescue pup um, and she really opened up my entire world to animal rescue. And I've been an animal lover my entire life. Um, I've always loved dogs. Um, I had a Dalmatian growing up, so it was kind of a match made in heaven, but I was not really well versed on animal rescue. And in 2012, when I got Molly, um, things were still a little bit new in that space where um, the no kill movement was just starting to pick up speed. And it came to my awareness that 2.1 million dogs are euthanized each year in the U.S. Um, a lot of it is just due to overcrowding. It's due to our own issues as people. And so I was just volunteering and helping. Uh, and, and honestly, it was that catalyst where all of a sudden Grounds and Hounds made sense to me as a, as a name and as a brand where it can be a philanthropic um, concept, but a brand that is for the rescue community that brings awareness to rescue pups, but does so through really amazing products. Um, and I was seeing a lot of, you know, really nice products, charity products, things that help dogs, um, but not a cool brand that I personally wanted as a 25 year old living in Los Angeles at the time. Um, and so I set out to just make something that would be comparable to any brand or any category product that you would buy. Um, but with the sole mission of how can we utilize um, a sound structured business model to help generate alternative funding for animal rescue. And, and so really it was that catalyst that um, just pushed me forward um, to the idea of like, Hey, this is something that I'm going to try to do and something I'm going forward with. And I was just tired of seeing um, other people, uh, you know, run into the, that same thing where you have a good idea and then you see it a year later and someone else is making a bunch of money. Right. You go, man, I could have done that. So it was really Molly, Molly and, and just the, the overall, um, uh, you know, confidence to say, like, this is worth trying yeah. and, and just move forward, um, you know, in 2013. You know, it's interesting. I feel like ideas are like kind of a dime a dozen, but the execution, it's funny. People think about like, oh, that was my idea. But the truth is like, yeah, but the the elevator between the idea and all of the execution, it's like people aren't going to copy ideas if, if you know, they got to execute. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what was the first effective step that you made to move from, I want to create grounds and hounds. And I saw that you give 20% of profits to, what is it? It's like non-kill shelters, correct? Yeah. So yeah. that's amazing. And I know for me as a business owner, I'm always reinvesting in my business. And so sometimes that extra piece that you're giving for your cause can be a big piece of what you could have brought to yourself. And so there's this really heart-centered generosity to being able to do that. And also I think pressure to be able to create revenue. So what was your first step? Um, and what would be the first step for anybody right now who wants to have an e-commerce business, whether they want to have a cause or not? Um, yeah where would you tell them to start? So, so starting with the cause piece of the question, um, I view those as almost two separate entities. So the cause piece, you, you have to view it, I think, a little differently. Um, it's, it's not philanthropic only. You need to think about this as part of your marketing strategy. So instead of you just saying like, well, I made all this money at my job and I could just donate my money. Yes, that's one. You can do that. But for a mission brand to be successful, you almost need to bake it into your marketing 
expense line items. So like you have paid media, you have social media influencers, you have impact. And so for me, it's viewed as part of my standard PL of how I view the company. So, you know, we carve out our focused generate donation amount heading into the year. So it's not reactive where it's like, well, we have this money and we're giving it away. Um, we use it as part of our content uh, strategy. So the animal rescue stories we're telling help us to meet new customers and help bring new top, top of funnel customers in. So when you're, when you're focusing on a mission brand, I think you need to view it as a core part of the business and not just something that happens downstream with money left over. Um, so that's just kind of my two cents on the mission piece. E-commerce, transparently, I didn't know anything about e-commerce when I started. Um, this was 2014. Shopify was still pretty new. Mm -hmm. uh, we initially couldn't even build our full website on Shopify. We had Shopify store. And then we had a WordPress front end. So you land on a WordPress page, but you could only shop on the Shopify backend. Um, so it was really clunky, but we were early in the coffee space to be on e-commerce. And again, I'm learning step-by-step step in this process. Um, when you work in e-commerce, one of the things I, I didn't know, it took me a while to figure this out. Um, you need to figure out how to drive traffic as inexpensively as possible and convert customers as cheaply as possible. I mean, that's, yeah. that's essentially that's your model. The, that's business, right? Like just, but it's not just business. traffic, right? It's like quality traffic. Like I think about I, likes yeah. on Facebook. Do you remember when those actually did anything likes, like people would pay for likes on your page. <laughs> that, that was a whole different day. And then like one day, Mark Zuckerberg woke up and was like, likes don't matter anymore or something, but you know, yeah. I remember people paying for likes, but there weren't quality likes. And so they couldn't convert it into customers a lot of the time. So what's your thinking on like lead generation? And because it is that simple, right? It's like have a quality product and have a shitload of people who want it and, and bring them yeah. to see and find out about the product. So what are some of the ways that you started to think about lead generation and what have you found has been most effective and approachable for people who are getting started? Yeah. And so even going back one step on, on the, my business model that I, I convey from a simplistic standpoint is generate traffic, convert traffic, deliver an amazing experience post-purchase and bring customers back. I mean, it's a four-step process that's super simple when you break it down, but it encapsulates everything you do in e-com. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, how, what's the purpose? How do you get people to through the door? Uh, back in 2014, 15, you could do paid media really cheaply. Um, there wasn't that much competition. People were using Google, but Facebook AdWords was really new. And so you could drive a ton of clicks. You can convert customers really easy. They had some really aggressive um, customer targeting tactics back then um, that I wasn't even aware of until they got rid of them. But they had a lot of stuff where you could cheaply acquire customers with paid media. It doesn't exist anymore. It's too expensive. Um, there were big iOS changes in, in the summer of last year where now paid media has become far less efficient than it ever used to be. So what, what I always think of is, particularly in early days, before you even sell a product, figure out what problem or what value you're providing to your customers. So if, if I'm getting you to come to my site, there has to be a reason. So is it because I'm telling you things that are valuable to you? Is it because I'm impactful in my space? Um, I'm a, an authority in the area I'm trying to convey. Um, am I providing value to something, whether it's recipes, how to make coffee, things where you're coming to me to learn in the process that then feed into what you're selling. So mm -hmm. 
I think before you start thinking about outbound marketing, you should spend a lot of time thinking about what's that value you're providing and problem you're solving when they land on your page or why they interact with you on social media um, or wherever it is that you're posting. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is brought to you in part by Glad Skin, the skincare products that restore natural balance to your skin. So be honest for a second with me. If I were to ask you how many skin products you have in your drawers at home, how many would you say? If you're like how I was, you probably have a ton of expensive, barely used products. It turns out we've been thinking about skin solutions the wrong way and it's time to rethink your skin. And that's what I love about Glad Skin. It's a brand new category of skin blemish treatment that works differently than any plant-based or drug-based product you've ever tried before because Glad Skin is based on the nature of healthy skin. So inflammatory blemishes and acne-prone skin, they're caused by an imbalance in the skin microbiome. And healthy skin needs a healthy balance of bacteria, just like your gut health does. So when the bacteria get out of balance on your skin, inflammatory conditions flare up. So Glad Skin developed a revolutionary protein called Microbalance to restore the natural balance of the good and the bad bacteria that live on your skin. So don't worry. Uh, Glad Skin's blemish gel works without any harsh ingredients. It's really gentle from day one. And right now it's offering our community. Glad Skin is so generous to give us 15% off our order with free shipping over at gladskin.com slash U-turn. That's G-L-A-D-S-K-I-N.com slash U-turn for 15% off plus free shipping. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Okay. So what I want to ask about that is like, people are probably thinking like, okay, well, he wants to help dogs and he has a coffee brand. So what value is there outside of the product? So how do you kind of start to think about providing that value beyond your product? What are some different mindsets you got into, or what are some different ways you approach providing value so that when a lead hit your site, it wasn't all about the sale? Yeah, it's, it's thinking about the community as, as a whole. Um, so taking a holistic approach, I'm not just selling you coffee. I'm not just saying, hey, here's the cheapest bag of dark roast you can find. Like, that's not my brand. That's not my position. We're more or less creating a community where the way to join the community is to engage with us, to, to buy the coffee, to buy the apparel, um, and then become part of the voice of, you know, no kill animal rescue movement. Um, but the value you're providing could be anything. You could have different verticals. So I could say, here's how to make the most of your French press. And I could give you videos on that. I could say, um, here are five things you shouldn't feed your dog at Thanksgiving. And, and so what you want to do really is take the layers back from the surface. So it's not, I want to sell you hats. It could be, what's the purpose of the hat and where are you using this hat? And then I could say, okay, well, it's, we have a, a, a vertical that's runners. And then you could say in that we're going to give you running tips. Yeah. And so when you're searching online or when you're looking at the brand, you're coming to learn about, Hey, these are five ways to, to you know, to prep for your next marathon. And at the bottom, here's the gear you need. And so you're essentially providing the value of, Hey, you don't have to buy anything, but yeah. we're providing this resource to you. And we're generating our own ability to be a, an authority in the space where then at the end, we also have products to help you enhance your experience or to take advantage of what you learned or to get ready for your next race. So you want to think about it a few layers deep. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people try to just go, I'll get an influencer to post this and then I'll sell this T-shirt 
and then we're good. It's like, no. well, you need to cultivate a, a core nucleus of why people come to you and, and really provide them a lot of value well beyond just selling them products, because that's yeah. a, you know, that's a one night stand approach where you want to have a relationship that goes on and on where they're coming back. They want to come to your site in between purchases. Um, but even that first one, that mental hurdle, especially as a new brand, how do I get someone to buy something for the first time and they don't know who you are and they don't really trust you? This is how, this is me saying like, Hey, I'm not some, you know, third party um, company from overseas, white branding products and just selling on a bot driven site. Here's me talking to you in a video. It could be yeah. like this, where you're just jumping on and saying, I'm the expert in cooking tips. And by the way, guys, I'm launching my newest, you know, cookware series here it is like right. i love this here's why and so like you want to think about that value that you're creating for a customer you know i love what you're saying because it reminds me of when i got my book deal all of the publishers when i had meetings they were really eating up this idea of um movements like all my friends who got good book deals were like ashley you need to make it a movement it can't just be a book it has to be like a whole thing and i love what you're saying about community because in order to have a real movement you need to have a community so it's like what do you want to stand for what's the the goal behind the goal? Why do you want to sell this thing? What are the layers behind it? Where can you provide value? Where can you provide education? I think a lot of people feel imposter syndrome where they're like, I don't know where I can provide education. I just want to sell some coffee beans, yo. You know, like, so what, what yeah. would be your comment to that objection? Because I think a lot of people do have some imposter syndrome. And oddly, it sounds so egoic for me to say this, but I don't usually get imposter syndrome. I don't know if I just like came out of the womb and was like, why not me? But I definitely have been getting it lately because I've been getting bigger opportunities and I'm like, Oh, wow, this is the thing that I've coached all these people through with their mindset that now I have. So what yeah. would you have to say for everyone who feels a little bit like who am I to put some value on the internet and take it seriously? Uh, I mean, realistically, everybody has to go through that stage. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, unless you're an athlete where your skills are displayed every day. When you're trying to trailblaze into a new space and fight your way forward, with the exception of time, where someone can look back and say, look at my resume, I'm 68 years old, and this is everything I've done, and here's why you should listen to me, particularly if you're younger and you're starting, mm -hmm. you just have to do it. You have to do it, and you have to do it knowing you're not going to be right all of the time. Um, there's a lot of trial and error. There's going to be a lot of situations where as long as you are taking the learnings and putting them into action and growing, um, that's how you grow as a person, and particularly as a business. It's it's not just saying, well, I don't know this, so I'm not going to do it. It's I'm going to do it, and I'm going to try to learn as fast as possible from it so I can do it better. Right. And that's how you separate yourself out in any space. It's just that you learn faster and you apply those learnings. So you are kind of always an imposter as long as you're pushing yourself right? because you don't know what you don't know. And so it takes that first time doing it to find out like, hey, I do know this or I learned something about this really quickly that now I can confidently say was right or wrong. So right. I can go back and if I could go back in time, I could make my life a million times easier with this business. I made a lot of good decisions, a lot of bad decisions. It's just how it goes. And if everything's perfect, you're either just following someone's footsteps or you're not pushing and you're probably going to have a really safe, you know, small business. But if you yeah. want to be out there, there are certainly things you're going to have to be uncomfortable with. Like most of my time, I don't know what I, I'm uncomfortably pushing myself yeah. into. Basis. I'm going into deals and reviewing deals and negotiating things. 
I don't really know until I'm sitting down and reviewing contract. I mean, like, there's stuff that you just have to do. Um, and I think that's how you become great in your space and you become successful and success is your own bearing. It's not necessarily financial, but I know I can start tomorrow with nothing and build a business. Right. That's such a sense of personal power to be able to say that, like take everything away from me and I can do this. And I think a lot of people are wanting to feel that dominion over their career right now, especially with such a huge shift happening in corporate America. And I saw that from uh, in 2021, corporate tax ID applications went up 56% compared to 2019, same period. So we are just seeing an explosion in entrepreneurship. I know Generation Z is a very entrepreneurial generation. I, I believe I read 72% of high school students that are Gen Z want to start their own business. So we are facing right now a generation that is highly uh, hungry entrepreneurially, and I think Gen, you know, Gen Y as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you talk about finding leads. Where are some great spots that like, I know you've done some Amazon stuff, I'm guessing. Can you tell us a little bit about, I see the internet as if it's a bunch of islands. Like I have a pod, this podcast is an island and then I'm going to start a YouTube channel. It's like its own little island and then TikTok and God knows what I'm going to do. You know, I wake myself up every day and I'm like, I got a new idea, but, um, how do you kind of decide where you want to put your island? I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm curious what yours are, because it sounds like it's been working for you. Uh, yeah. And so I think maybe my, my visual, um, my visualization of it is slightly different. I, I, I so I get the islands. Yeah. I almost view it. I almost view it as a, it's like a, it's its own city. Yeah. So like everyone's talking about the metaverse, the metaverse kind of exists already on the internet. What you're doing is you're going into this weird city where you can go visit all of these stores, but there are roads. And your goal is to have as many roads that run through your store as humanly possible. And you you need some really big ones and then you need a lot of little small ones. And so what I think is like early, the, the big one or the core avenue to your store or to your ecosystem is your niche. That's where whether it's, you know, you're already an authority in the space or you have a very distinct product or brand or you have a different positioning that appeals to a passionate, smaller cluster, which we we call the beachhead segment, that's who you want to focus on. And you want to figure out where do they acquire information? Who do they look to in the, in the space for, you know, authority? How do they obtain media? Where are they watching TV shows? Where are they out and about? Focus on that. Mm -hmm. Use that as your core base of, if I can capture this, it's big enough and meaningful enough that the business will be able to grow. And then you start looking at the next, the the general theory is 10 10 segments. So you want to be able to get that first one. You want to own it. And then you want to have 10 subsequent segments that you can target and bring in. And that's really where you'll lay out your total, it's called your TAM, total addressable market size. Um, That's where you can sit down and say, if I captured 100% of these people, that's worth $450 million. I don't think I'm going to capture 100, but at least it's worth it. And if I capture 20%, you know, hey, I I got a really strong business. And that's where I I look to when I think of these islands. I'd say like for us, my first thing was rescue moms. Like, so for me, it was back in 2013. It was really, really heavily um, female leaning. Um, It was engaged with rescue groups. We were working with rescue partners as kind of our lateral marketing approach. So like if you communicated out about grounds and hounds and they bought, you received money as a rescue group. And so it was a very distinct segment. And then we went 
hey, you know what else? There's, you know, all these people that are always out hiking and camping with their dogs and they create great, great social media. And so we should create a target for that audience and product collections specifically for them. And then it kept going out from there to like, Hey, we've got like this, like new says like dogs, my favorite people we just launched and sells like crazy. And it's more for your, you know, 25 to 34 year old social media active, like more like outward facing, um, fashionable person. So we start creating things for the customers to bring them to the store. Mm. That's more like, that's more of a product alignment strategy. There, there's a bigger focus point where you can do paid media and that's okay. another way to drive a lot of traffic. Uh, but it, it's so, it, it's, it's so diverse yeah. and early on you can get so weighed down. I say like, what you should do is really think about your beachhead customer. How are you going to communicate with them, engage with them, authentically be part of that community and then create that Avenue to your store first. Mm-hmm. Ideally, they'll tell people and bring in that second wave, but that's where you want to focus almost exclusively until you own it. I mean, like yes. before you start branching out, like own that group and then mm-hmm. think about X. Once you finally like, I got that. There's nothing else we can do here. Then you branch out. It's funny that you know, I was thinking about that because before we start recording, you talked about like learning what your customers are into. And I think a lot of people miss this. Sometimes entrepreneurs, especially when they're new, they think to themselves like, let me just put my shingle in the ground with the thing that I'm good at versus how do I find that Venn diagram sweet spot of here's what I'm good at. Here's where my skills are and here's what I want to offer. And then also what does this customer actually want from me? What do I need to create for them? It's about them. It's not about us, right? As entrepreneurs. So how do you do market research? Let's say somebody's listening right now. They want to create an e-commerce thing they're thinking about a movement. They're thinking about a community. They're thinking about lead gen because of our conversation. Um, but now they need to kind of get clear on their ideal client. And, and if you're listening and you're thinking about starting a business, I hope you pay attention because this is where people miss it. They don't think enough about the customer, which is the most important person. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And so I think the, the big piece is empathy, really. You know, you want to, and not in the sense of like, I want to listen and hear everybody, you know, and how they feel. It's understanding the perspective of your customer. And I think if I could say I'm good at one, really good at one thing, I've always been able to view my store and my shop as a customer more so than me. So like you can be the artist where you're like, I create things and if you like them, good. If not, I don't care. Yeah. Or be more like me where I'm saying, I want you to come in and have the greatest experience. I want you to think like this was made for you. Um, The cheapest way is just to listen. I mean, you can just go and monitor and read blogs and, and be involved in the community, just participate, think in the background, digest as much information as you possibly can. Um, and you'll learn so much. And, and what you're trying to do in the early days is really don't try to solve anything. Just listen, take in as much as possible. And, and what entrepreneurship is, I mean, it's gotten much more of a sexy term now. And it's like a thing like 2012, when I started working on this, no one wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't yeah. cool. You know, everyone wanted to be bankers and lawyers. Like it was still at this, like no one, no one wanted this. Now it's a thing. But what we do is we solve problems and we try to create unique solutions. And so what you're trying to do that makes you different is take them all this information that everyone else could could have, but you piece it together in a different way. And so the only way you can do that in my mind is just take in everything, read things that help you be more creative. Like, so you want to be involved in 
and let's say handbags. Do as much research as you can in handbags. Do as much research as you can in fashion trends, in materials. Look at architecture. Look at design. Look at you know different things that push your mental boundaries where then you might find a unique thing where it's like, hey, you know what? There's this new material from you know, grass that's being you know, used as disposed farmland goods. And you can turn that into a, a fabric that's now a person and zero, you know, zero emissions. Like you need to push yourself to find things that connect that other people don't. And the only way you can do that is listen and talk to people as much as possible and learn. The next step is then secondary research where you, you can go find the market reports. My general thought process though, is as an entrepreneur, if you can find the data, someone else already is smarter than you and probably found it and, and is either doing it or, or realized it wasn't worth doing. So it's out there. It can, can it can support a hypothesis, but, well, but I don't think everybody's doing it their way, which is sometimes different, right? Like people can often yeah. say to themselves like, oh, this is already done, right? Like coffee and dog rescue. I'm yeah. sure there's other but the way you're going to do it is different. Nobody is you, um, but you make a good point. Yeah. Like if the research has been done, you know, what, it's good to ask those critical questions of, of why isn't it resonating or why wasn't it created? Um, yeah, I have so many thoughts about what you're sharing with ideal customer. One area that I like to go is a decora, like the little question and answer rooms. That's like a real rabbit hole yeah. on the internet. Like I want to know what people, I mean, I used to not be this calculated, even though I worked in counterterrorism and you have to be pretty calculated when I was in my twenties to do that. But like, I hope, I hope, yeah. I hope so for our sake. I, hope, yeah. I know, I know <laughs> it is kind of in retrospect, kind of scary to think I was responsible for protecting anybody when I'm not the most detail oriented person, but, um, might never matter. And, you know, I, I used to, when I started learning copywriting, which by the way, anyone listening, um, it's powerful to learn copywriting get on Amazon, look up books that are in the copy space. Of course, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to do everything, but at the beginning, you kind of are the chief business development officer until you actually have sales and you can actually afford to hire people. Um, you're, you're solo. And, and by the way, the majority of the tax ID applications that were filed, the majority of them, the entrepreneur intended to be a solopreneur. So most people are filing want to be solo. And, um, I would say, I love to go down that rabbit hole on core and see how people are talking about their thing, how they're asking questions, what buzz and bite-sized terms there are. Like I have a lot of programs on how to land a job offer and all of my messaging. I remember when I started, there were no career coaches, let alone millennials, because you had to have a career to even coach on one. And I was like five years or three years into my career as a millennial. So bold that I became a career coach of any sort at that point. But anyway, um, all my terms on my sales pages are very thought out. Like I don't just say how to write a good resume. I say how to write a resume that stands out in the pile because in Quora and in different chat rooms, people kept saying, how do I stand out in the pile? How do I stand on the pile? So you want to extract those sound bites and you want to talk like they do. You want to enter the conversation that's already going on in their head. And so I love that you're kind of sharing the other, other side of it, where it's not just doing that research, but also looking at data. That's where I stopped. I just looked at what people are saying and read copywriting books but I didn't look at data and what is the size of the market for the, you know, that's just not how my brain goes, but it's a very responsible thing to do. So if you're trying to raise capital, that's where you need that. So like, if you're just, you want to be a solopreneur and your passion is to create stuff and you just like that, you know, you're going to work every day. If you want to raise money or if you really want to grow, that's where the, the rigor of data comes in because when you're working with the financial institutions or banks or investment banks, private equity groups, they need data. And, and so you want to be as well versed as possible. So it's knowing as well, like what's your goal? So if you're just like, Hey, I love yeah. making this. 
that's, that's like makes me super happy. Love making these candles. I, if I didn't have to do anything else and I can make 50 candles a day forever and pay bills, super happy. Cool. That's fine. Yeah. Do that. But if you're like, I want to have a candle empire, then you need to think about, mm-hmm. okay, what's realistically in my, and so like for me, when I started this, I wanted it to be a big company. I had yeah. created the infrastructure early for it to scale, to be a big company, but you need to also like, you know, you can start small and then maybe someone goes, Oh my God, she makes the best candles I've ever smelled. We got to buy her. We got to bring it, whatever that happens. But if you really want to lead the charge and how do you grow and you want a big business, that's where you want the data. So you can go and say, Hey, this is, this is a lucrative investment. Look how fast the market's growing. Look how big, you know, the, the e-commerce coffee segment is. And it's got, uh, when I started, it was 1% of, of grocery sales were online. The forecast was 15%. So we're saying, hey, we have a 15X upside of people just buying groceries and, and consumable goods online from 2003. Yeah. And so you can ride that wave, but that's part of what you're thinking too. It's not just, you know, when you start, it's not just like, hey, I don't want to work anymore at this job. I want to do my own thing. It's what are your, yeah. what are your goals? Do you want this to be big? Do you want this to be a, a job or do you want this to be something that's passive income? Like if you know what your objectives are, then you can take the, the approach of like, Hey, this company, you know, you could buy a car wash and be like, Hey, this is great. It's passive yeah. income. But the most it can ever do is I can make $200,000 a year owning this car wash, um, which might be great. And you're like, that's all I want. Yeah. Or you say, yeah. I want to have a chain of car washes and therefore I need yeah. to have a different mentality and a different structure because I want to make 20 million dollars a year. And so it's knowing what your objectives are from the beginning, or at least having an idea of what your goals are, then you can kind of work towards, does this business support that objective? Right. You know, it's interesting. I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's such a fine line between being visionary and delusional. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you feel kind of deluded because you're like, this is my vision and I'm going to act like it's happening, but there is something to owning it putting the pieces in place. There's, there's no other way to do it other than that. So, okay. Let's say somebody who's listening, they're creating community, they're creating a movement. Um, they're doing the research. They got the data on the market. They're thinking about their product. They're reading how people talk about it or think about it at 2am on Quora or whatever. Um, and then now they want to get started. Where do they go next? What would be your next suggestion, especially as it relates to e-commerce? You mentioned Shopify back in the day. I feel like a lot of online stuff clunky. I, I started Facebook ads when Facebook ads started. And now I just wish they were priced like that. And I would just be a gazillionaire with what <laughs> I know now. I just yeah, be, yeah. If we, go back, we wouldn't even be podcasts uh, right now. I'd be like on an island I somewhere. You, if, I, if I would have had any idea how easy Facebook ads were back in 2014 versus now, yeah. I, mean, I know way more than I need to do now, but yeah, you're right. You're spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Where you start. I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Um, I think in in e-commerce, I would start with like, you can go to the minimum viable product stage where you say like, I'm not going to go all out and buy 10 years worth of inventory. I'm not going to spend $150,000 on a prototype um, if I don't know this market exists. So once you get that inkling, so for me, I started with... Um, I mean, I launched this, I, I launched the company when I was in grad school. So I love that part. So I left LA, um, in 2013, I was going back for my MBA because I was like, I don't know what to do. So I'll just keep going yeah. to school for a bit. Might as well just delay the world well, and hide and in I school. Was worried, and I, no one, judgment, I, I love school. And I liked, I like business. And so I've always liked business. Yeah. I was like, worst case, I, I, I'll learn a lot. So I'm, I was back in grad school. 
So I didn't have any money, but I didn't have any overhead, which is great. Um, and so I just sold some furniture, some stuff on eBay. I used my student loans and like barely had any money, but I got a website off the ground. I spent like a thousand dollars on coffee um, initially just to get the first packaging done. And then I spent another few thousand just to get the coffee and everything loaded up. And then I just sold it. And I wanted to see and like, so in my mind, the thing you could do is either delay. And this is where it's strategy wise. Like you can either take a step back and be like, I know this is a home run and I'm going to take two years to raise capital and have the biggest product and go hard on a launch. Or if you're kind of like me and you're just like, I think it's an idea that might work. I don't know. My, my goal would be like, how can you get some feedback as early as possible, as cheaply as possible. So if you can create some products and get them live, or even if you're not on e-com and your product is like, let's say a consumable, can you get a table at the farmer's market and go sell some product and get feedback from customers because they're either going to say, I love this, or like, I don't get it. Um, I mean, I used to do uh, early days. I mean, everyone forgets now. I used to spend every Saturday and Sunday for the first two and a half years, either doing like demos in Whole Foods, just pouring samples of coffee, um, standing at like rescue events with a pop-up table and selling like $150 to 15 people that showed up to the rescue event. Like it was so bare bones, but everyone loved it. And I knew it. So like, I knew the feedback and I knew the customers that loved it. I could tell when they're walking up, whether they're going to buy it, I could just, you can see it. And yeah. so and that would shape my marketing. I go back and like, you know, Facebook ads, I'd be okay. I need to target this demographic and this type of customer. And like the faster you can find out whether or not people engage, the faster you can change the product or you can invest heavier in that product. But my, my objective would be, you know, Set up a cheap Shopify page. Um, I think the basic account's like 49 bucks a month. You know, get some really nice product photography or find somebody that can do that. That's worth investing in, particularly now. You can't, you can't have shitty websites. I mean, that's just basic. Yeah. Now you have to have nice visuals. Your social media page has to have great visuals, um, as long as that fits your brand. But that kind of stuff is worth investing in get it live, get it live and find out, you know, like that's the only way you'll really know. And it's scary yeah. because you also might find out that it sucks and no one wants it. Right. Like that's part of it. You, you have to be willing to take those hits. You have to. Well, be- that's the thing. Like people don't want to take the hits. They're so afraid of failure. And that's what I want to ask you about too. And sorry to interrupt you. I'm just oh, like so sure. fiery at this moment. You, you talk a lot, like you're building the plane as you fly it, which I, I love. And I've done too. You did the demos in the whole foods. You were willing to face, you know, I went to the networking events as a new coach, um, and, and was like willing to have no clients and try and get clients. It's so freaking vulnerable. It's so uncomfortable. Um, and those conversations are key for later, right? Like there are coaches who come into my practice over the years and they'll say, I want to go to groups. And I'm like, but what's your, what's your formula? What are you going to teach them? What's your content? You need to go one-on-one to understand the one-on-many. You can't just jump into many if you don't have content through that intimate connection to your customers. So you did the demos in Whole Foods, but I'm also even wondering a couple steps back, um, well, I want to ask you about burnout and mental health and stuff like that, but also getting distribution. Like you, you said, you went into Whole Foods. So I think people don't realize, you know, you can just contact them. And, and, and so I'm curious, how did you get distribution and how did you even find the coffee beans in the first place? I know you can only share what you want to share, but I think people get blocked with that too. Like I want to start this thing, but where is everything? You know what I mean? Where are the coffee bean people? Where do I find them? It's like one of those, I think it's funny because I do think that we live in this like hacking world where it's like, there's gotta be an easy way. There isn't. 
I mean, there no. isn't there's I called like when it came to the coffee, I called everybody I knew that might know somebody that might know somebody in coffee. I visited roasteries. I was cold emailing roasteries. I was saying like, hey, I have an idea. Would you want to part? I didn't know how to do anything. I just knew I was in school and I couldn't run an actual roastery at the time. And I couldn't run a fulfillment center. Um, and, and so I was just building, I was building it. Like, so that's when we talk about like the entrepreneurial, like building the plane as you're flying. What we're yeah. doing, and I don't know if people, maybe it's just like inherent to me and I understand this, but like you, you have to see the world differently. You have, it's not that, yeah. it's not that you just see, here's the situation in front of me, you're building something. So it's like having your own mental blueprint of what the world could look like and you're building it and no one else can see it. And so it's kind of like when we, when you're starting, you can't go and say, well, it doesn't exist. Like this isn't a thing. Well, it's like, that's what makes it interesting to do because you're the one that yeah. builds it. And the only way to do that, it's like, you can't build a house just by sitting behind your computer. Someone's got to go build the house. You have to lay the foundation, you got to dig the holes. You got to put up the support beams. It's the same thing, starting a company, someone has to do it. And if you're the only person in the company, that's you, you're the one that's going into whole foods. I used to drop off cases of coffee, at like six in the morning before I went to yeah. class. Like, so I'd drop and I was like local South Bend, Indiana, whole foods. I go drop off cases of coffee. I go to class, be getting orders in between. You know, I was doing the work and there is yeah. no shortcut to that. And, and I, yeah. I think what you should do is embrace it. Like I, yeah. I'm a bit of a masochist in that standpoint. I love hard work. Like I don't like easy things. Um, I don't like being bored in my own life. Uh, even outside of work, I'm always just doing things that I find challenging. And I think as long as you don't look at it in the negative way, like it's, it's good stress. This is growth. This is you improving. This is you being scared to go in and get rejected. This is you getting shut down. This is you not knowing, you know, how to deal with this problem yet, but it's a learning experience. And I treated everything in the early days, more like that, where it was like, I'm intentionally making this uncomfortable. And that's how you mm -hmm. go. If you're not, if you're afraid to, to get rejected and you want to sell a product or you don't want to have those those tough calls with vendors like it just might not be your space like you just might not it's not for everybody but right i think it could be for everybody if you have the right mindset and so that that's always been how i grew the company early it was just like you just do it you suck up your ego and you go do the work um, there is no yeah. shortcut I love that you're saying that because especially as we talked about Facebook ads, it was, it's just like something about the business world feels very much like that's how you market to people. It's like get rich quick, but there are no shortcuts. Like it takes time to really build something and to, to do the diligence. Um, and I know that you have a, a mindset where you receive challenge as well. Um, how do you manage your mental health when you're not, or does that just not happen for you? Cause for me, I'm pretty decent with rejection. And I hope everyone listening, like if you take anything out of this episode, it's like, stop caring so much what people think and do whatever work you need to do on yourself to not care if you look stupid or you look ridiculous. Like that's, that's the cost of admission. Like you are not going to have success as an entrepreneur. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur, by the way, it's not for everyone. I don't know why it's glamorized. I feel like I've spent years eating shit. Yeah. So like, I don't, you know, um, and then there's no guarantee, right? So, you know, and, and the market changing is a real thing. And and I want to, so I feel like everybody talks about creating things mm -hmm. in the entrepreneurial space, but there's not enough conversation about sustaining. Yeah. So 
how do you manage your mental health? How do you manage, you know, avoid burnout? And and what are some things you had to consider once your brand started getting traction? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this preemptively. I'm more of like, do as I say, not as I do type of person. I'm not great at not trying to like, I push myself to burnout and I don't really take breaks. Um, I don't take vacation and, and it's not good. And I, I know that and, and I don't tell anyone else to do it. So there are better ways to do this. I just, I'm from, you know, Pittsburgh, blue collar town where you worked every day, you went in with a lunch pail and that was the expectation. And that's the culture we grew up with. And like, that's how I, I kind of have always been. So I'm not the best when it comes to like, Hey, it's, you know, I got to take a break or I just push, I push through it. Um, but, yeah. but I, I found a lot of, particularly in you know, the early days, the everything's big and challenging and early on it all seems life or death. And I look back now and, and it's funny because of how small the things were, you know, one customer is upset and I'd be like, holy shit, like, how am I going to, I got to fix this. I got to like, I'll run, I'll drive a bag two hours to them to make like, you're like panicking over everything where then you, you get bigger and you go, oh, that was funny. Like, I remember, like I used to lose sleep over that kind of stuff. Now it's like every day, um, you, you just kind of start to, you know, build the calluses, I think. And, and so it's right. part of it's part of the process. Um, and you're right. It's not being an entrepreneur. It's fun and challenging and it's not that pleasant all the time. Uh, yeah. we, we have a lot of people that, that go out there and market it because they make money off of marketing it. Like they make money right. off of trailing you to, to be an entrepreneur. It's not, it's not that great. It's hard. It's a very hard yeah. style. Um, you sacrifice and there's a lot of people all. reporting their income <laughs> without showing their expenses. So there's a lot of people that are like, I had a $10 million launch. And you're like, but you spent $8 million on ads and yeah. 1 million on your team and a half million on yeah. refunds. And, and now you made, which is fine, but just be honest. Um, and I get it. It doesn't honesty is, is a hard policy sometimes when you're in survival mode and you want to do well, um, but I mean, burnout catches up with you. So I know that you kind of, and by the way, I haven't heard of the, the words lunch pail in so long, like a lunch pail. That's so retro. So 2000. That's, that's and late. Really, that, so I love So being, I love if anyone's from Pittsburgh listening, um, I love it. My parents are still there. Uh, I've, I've I'm very close to it. Like it's my favorite place. I love that it's a hardworking city and that's what's expected versus it being flashy, you know, living in LA, it's all about it. You want to be 18 driving a Rolls Royce where it's complete bullshit where it's like, no, I like people that work hard and and I like people that just roll up their sleeves. And and that's, you know, distinctly something I took from the city. And, and I I hope it becomes more normal to be like, it's cool. It's cool to put effort into things. Like it's not cool. Yeah the back and, and try to make it look like it's easy because it's not. And if it is, it's probably not sustainable or someone else will well, do you know, it. I mean, on that point, it's like, I, um, I think one thing I didn't write about in my book is about people's energy levels. So what I'm experiencing with you is that you have very good energy levels and it's very real that you, it looks like you go to the gym or whatever. And it's like, you take care of yourself. Some people, I think there's a lot of illness or, weird stuff. Like I didn't even know I had Lyme disease until I got the second tick bite. So I've, I got Lyme not once, but twice, apparently must be meant to have it, but like, I don't have a lot of symptoms from it, but I do get a little tired. My immune system isn't the best. Otherwise I'm great. Um, but I think subconsciously because I had it for so long, 
there was some part of me that was like, I need to work on my own terms because I can't tell somebody in an office that I'm too tired for a project. Like I need to have some control over this. And so my energy levels I've known have been limited. And even though if you ask anyone who knows me, they'd say I'm the most energetic person they know. It's because I'm very clear on where my energy is going. I'm a hundred percent. Like, I love this podcast. I love my, you know, I, I joke and say, I'd be on an Island if I figured out Facebook ads and when I brought what I know, but I wouldn't have, I'd probably be doing this same thing, which is the joke of wealth. People from think like, Oh, I'm going to have wealth. Yeah. From an Island. I'd have a better view right now. Probably it's like raining in New York, but um, yeah, it is beautiful. Um, I, I want to also ask, you know, for anyone who's listening and saying, well, how do I know if entrepreneurship is for me? I have to say like purpose moves, right? Like you, I love what you're saying about how, you know, business isn't always fun. And I think there's this weird standard we all grew up with where like in order to feel purpose and to have the right thing, quote unquote, you need to love it all the time. I love what I do like 80% of the time. The other 20, like kind of sucks, you know, like, oh, there's a tech glitch and I've got a customer that's so bummed that they can't access their course before a job interview tomorrow. And that's why they bought the course. And I, you know, there's so many parts of it that you don't, you can't love. So how do, what, what advice would you have for someone listening to this that is thinking about starting and they're not sure if they're cut out for it? What are some factors that you would say are good for them to decide if it's a fit? Yeah. And I think the great thing about entrepreneurship is it's not, you know, it's not like a, like a, a profession, right? Like it's a, it's not a thing. And so there isn't a right and wrong person for it. I think there are some traits you should have, um, or at least develop and you can develop most things. Like, so I, I'm more of like a neuroplasticity type of person that you can do a lot of things that you don't inherently have. So you need grit because really all it is, is commitment. You know, so if you commit to, I will figure this out or I will be getting better. And I understand that this is going to be tough for a long time and you commit to it and you're not looking for a way out. So this, you know, I like everyone talks about like, it's a side hustle to think I'm more of a burn your ships at the shore type of person. Like you go yeah, okay. and there's no, there's no coming. Like if you want to do it, you got to do it. And, and I think you should dabble. And I don't think you should quit your job if you, if you can't handle that as a, you know, financially or you know, from, from a familial standpoint, but when you're in, you're in, because if you look for a way out, it'll give you a million reasons to look, to get out. Like early on in particular, I would, oh, yeah. every, every day I was like, I don't know if we can stay in business, you know, like for, yeah. for two years, you're kind of like that. You're just like, and even yeah. still like you wake up sometimes you're like, Oh shit. Like, I hope, I hope we're staying. I hope it still works. Like I hope people keep buying stuff today. Um, doesn't go away, but I think you need to be committed to the company and to your project. Um, that's the first piece. Second, when we were talking about like health and energy. Um, I think you should treat yourself like an athlete. Um, you need to be on like, so my big learning lesson, I remember we went live. Um, we, you know, I think I was just me. So when I say we, it was me and my dog, we went live. We, I love that. We yeah. went live. I remember the first day we had like a thousand dollars in sales. And I was like, oh, so my exciting. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe anyone bought anything. We bought a thousand dollars in sales. And I was like, in grad school, I had some of my buddies that were over. We drank. I woke up with a hangover the next day. And this is day two. And I realized that day was it was good. It happened because it's like that. I go, oh, this is always here. This is like a kid. Like it's not good. Like I can't be hungover. I can't feel right. bad because they don't, no one cares. No one feels bad that you don't oh, like yeah. you can't just pick, I just don't want to do it today because it's like, no, it doesn't matter. It's happening. This is going on right now. And so once I kind of had that sink in for me, it was like, oh, you got to commit the same way you would if you're playing a sport 
if you are, you know, I have the old saying is like, if you, if you own the million dollar racehorse, would you, you know, give it cigarettes and junk food and keep it up till two in the morning? You're like, no, I take care of it. And it's like, well, you're the same. You're the million dollar, right? You're the person, you're the value driver here. So take care of yourself. Um, make sure you do still maintain time to do things that, that keep yourself healthy. So when I say I don't take vacations and I don't take breaks, um, I love triathlons. Like I, and so like, I like, physically pushing myself. So I never would have guessed that you're a triathlon dude. Like, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> you're like I like a challenge. Yeah. I want to well, put stress on my- And so it's like, but like that, for me, that's my, but like I'm, when I don't do those types of things and I'm like, I'm just working for 15, 16 hours a day and, you know, I feel terrible and my, and my work is impacted. So, you know, I think I, I spend as much time looking for those opportunities. Like I have to shut my brain down. I have to do things yeah. that are different from this just to keep myself fresh. I have to go find inspiration elsewhere. And so I think you need to maintain those things that made you who you are. You know, that's one of those, that's one of those things where you don't realize it, but like you're in, you're in there and you, yeah. you can't just walk away. Like, so once it's going, like you, you can end up being like, I feel trapped if you don't maintain things in your life that make you happy to be alive. So that's a big piece for me too, is like maintain what you're looking for. Um, when you're getting ready, and I think I kind of alluded to this before we started, um, you should practice being an entrepreneur. And it's a weird thing, but like if you have a nice job, let's say you're making you know $75,000 a year and you, you know, you're comfortable, but you're spending the money, see what you can do living on $30,000 for six months. You know, cut, right. cut your expenses in half because that's what's going to happen. Um, it's inevitable. Even if your business is really successful early on, you're just going to be plowing cash right back in. So you and that can be a negative thing too, because sometimes you get early success and you get like an yeah. ego about it and you start to think that it's easy and the market will humble you if you don't stay humble. Yeah. So it's like really oh, yeah. good point. Making. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it's true. You have to be, um, you almost have to be trained for the lifestyle because I mean, for the first three years I paid myself enough to stay alive. Like, so I was mm-hmm. paying rent, I pay for food, you know, I pay for gas, very little else, but I think I was maybe taking $20,000 a year. And I was like looking for ways to cut expenses. So it was a lifestyle I've never lived like before. Um, and that was as hard as the business where like, you know, everyone's doing, va- everyone's going on vacations and buying this and that. And you're like, well, I'm good. Like I'm going to be working for the next, you know, 24 hours anyway, what the hell's the difference. So you need to also get to that point where you're like, you're not living the same way because your lifestyle will be different for a bit, but it's an investment. So think of it like a J curve where like you're here and you're going to go down here for a lifestyle for a while, but if it works, you're going to be way up here. You're going to be 10 Mm -hmm. times further along than you would have been if you had just stayed in your job and continued the lifestyle as is. So you have to be ready, ready to invest and know that it's going to be tough for hopefully down the road, you know, a a bigger, better payout. Well, so, okay. So my last question, other than where can everyone find the coffee and contribute to the movement and where I can get that t-shirt that you're wearing is, um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten in business? Um, I think it's do the work. It's a weird, simple thing. Um, you have, you just have to show up consider you don't have to be great every day. You don't have to be a superhero every day. You have to show up every day and just do the damn work. Like that's something that people forget. It's not always this flashy, like, Hey, I'm on the cover of Forbes. I'm doing this here. I am on TV. You just got to work every day. And and if you can do that and you can improve a little bit each day, then 
five years from now, you'll be amazed about how far you've come and how far you've grown, but it, it's really the consistency. Um, so from my, uh-huh. from my only advice for people is just do the work, show up, do the work, do the work. It's not rocket science, you know, get your lunch pail, do it, grab do lunch, it all, grab your lunch pail, get to work, people. do the work. And you'll be, it'll, and like, <laughs> you know, worst case scenario, you, and you, be, you will fail. You, and you know, yeah. I, good or bad. My first company is grounds and Towns, and it didn't fail, but there are, learnings that would have been moments i'm sure well there are moments where you almost did and if it did yeah i wouldn't have looked at it like you can't look at it like that's a failure you're not a failure if that happens you're only a failure if you don't put the effort in and you leave a bunch of you know opportunity on the table but if you do what you try and it didn't work then you learned because you can go back to the drawing board and you have all this new experience like so when i mentioned like i could walk tomorrow and start a new company with with no money it's because now i i know uh, you you pick up these skills like you're not going to be on this path to being a you know a CMO if you're if you want right. you're now an entrepreneur it's its own thing you're kind of like a nomad um, you have yeah. weird skills you know a lot of stuff but you're really self sufficient and it's almost more of that like self reliance type of mindset of I'm not as afraid to lose a job because there isn't really a job to lose like you could right. company can go away but your skills are there. And, and yeah. so I think that's like the big piece. And the more you do, the, part, the more, the more value you personally have. So my, that's, that's my advice. I, I, I wish there was like a fun one, just show up, do the work. No, I feel like it's underrated to do the work. Like we're in a world that doesn't always want to, and I get it. So where can everyone find the t-shirts, the coffee? Where can we all go? Yeah. Nice and easy. Just grounds and the hounds coffee.com. You can find us on Instagram, social media. You can just search for awesome. us and Google will pop up. Um, we do a lot of that SEM stuff as well. So it'll be easy to, for us to find you if you, if you search. So we're always out there. Um, but yeah, just come check it out. Follow us on Instagram. You know, if you have pictures of dogs and coffee, send them to us. We're always looking for new people in our community. Good. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.